Spirit check. Wow, y'all ain't up this morning. I caught you slipping. Spirit check. Spirit check. Amen. Amen. Who left their mask up here? Let's give the Lord a hand praise for the worship team. Didn't they do a great job? Praise God for the worship team. Did a wonderful, wonderful job. Worship is very, very, very critical to our spiritual formation. In fact, I would suggest that God does things in the worship that he doesn't do any other in any other space. So it's very important as people of God that we, we worship the Lord and we praise God and we open up our hearts. So we want to welcome everybody uh, back uh, this evening. And it's a joy uh, to be with everyone. Spirit check. Well, Y'all got to be faster than that. Spirit check. It is a joy to be with everyone, and I'm super uh, grateful I got to hang out uh, with the basketball team uh, this afternoon. So I, let's give the Lord a hand praise for the basketball team. So I want to... I want us to turn, if you have your Bibles or your phone or your whatever you have, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to back to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 32, and um, we're going to be looking at the Word of the Lord this evening, and I can't wait to be back tomorrow night. We're going to kind of cap off our time together tomorrow night, so do not skip Tomorrow night, make sure you come and sign up and be a part of what God is doing tomorrow night. Luke chapter 13, verse 31. Remember this morning, I reminded us that we open up the word of the Lord to be transformed by it. We open up the word of the Lord to be spiritually fed by it. Remember, I reminded us this morning that the scripture says, man shall not live off bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so I reminded us this morning that there's a way to sit up underneath the word of God, that we believe as Christians that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is the word of our king. It is the rule for our faith and living. And so there's a way that we sit up underneath the teaching of God so that we might receive from God. And we want to receive. We don't want to just be here. We want to receive. And so every time we sit up underneath the teaching of the Word of God, we, we sit with an open heart. We sit with an open mind. We sit with a diligent heart. And we lean into the Word of God. Someone say amen. amen. All right. Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. Listen to the Word of the Lord. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. If you have your Bibles, underline that phrase because that's an important phrase tonight. Listen, I'm going to say it again. Listen to what they tell Jesus. They say, Herod wants to to kill you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had your life threatened, but it is not a good feeling. Listen to what they said. Herod wants to kill you. 
Verse 32, it says, Jesus replied, go tell that fox. I want to say fox. Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day. Someone say third day. On the third day, I will reach my goal. That's, that's, he, he's given allusions. He's implying about the resurrection on the third day. Listen to verse 33, the last phrase. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Let the church say amen. amen. We are studying uh, the Bible from this kind of this kind of theme of press on, press on. Someone say press on. And we are learning uh, through this particular biblical story about some of the obstacles that will try to get in our way to stop us from fulfilling our divine assignment from God. Everyone in here has a divine assignment from God. You are not here by accident. You didn't just show up here. Uh, God has a divine assignment for your life, but it's not, it's not going to play out easy. And so we are kind of identifying some of the things that we need to press on through to break through, and we are being inspired um, by Jesus' example to press on. Now, one of the most radical statements that Jesus ever said is found in verse 33, where he says, I must press on. I must press on. Apostle Paul also teaches us about this fierce mentality. He almost says the same thing in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to how he worded it. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to remind us tonight that following Jesus in this dark generation is not going to be easy. We must press on. I want to remind us this evening that being all that God has called you to be is not going to be easy. You must press on. I want to remind someone tonight that fulfilling your dreams in your lifetime is not going to come easy. You must press on. Someone say press on. It's not enough. It's not enough to coast on. We must have the spirit of pressing on. Now, when I talk about pressing on, it speaks of passionate progress, passionate progress. When I, when I use the term press on, it speaks of being committed to break through the obstacles that try to hold us down. I really believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have it within you to break through whatever it is the enemy tries to hold you down with. We all, we all need to press on. 
One of the main reasons why we need to press on is because everything goes against us in serving the Lord. Everything pushes against us. Culture pushes against us when we choose to serve the Lord. One of the reasons why culture pushes against us is because culture is always trying to kick out Jesus. When you look at this story, that's in effect what they're trying to do. They're trying to kick out Jesus away from Jerusalem. And, 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 and society has not changed. In every generation, there are groups of people that are always trying to kick out Jesus. I remember many years ago, I got an email from the Los Angeles County Supervisor's Office. Los Angeles County has four supervisors that run the entire county, and they're known as the four kings because they got uh, so much power in the county. And as I was reading their email, they uh, invited me to pray uh, for one of their meetings. They invited me to come to where they're at, and they said, Brian, we want you to pray over us. And for a second, I got excited. For a second, I said, wow, I got the four kings calling me into their office to pray for them until I read the bottom of the email where they told me, we just don't want you to pray in the name of Jesus. We want you to come and pray, but don't pray in the name of Jesus. Society, everyone is always trying to kick out Jesus. At that moment, I said to myself, they must have not have read my book. They must not know my story. How in the world am I going to call upon the name of Jesus and experience the power of God and the miraculous power of Jesus Christ in my life and turn around and be released from prison and, and all of a sudden don't pray in his name? Um, needless to say, I respectfully declined to go to their office. Everything pushes against us. Sometimes family can even be against us. I remember hearing the story about a mother who told her son, son, I'm glad that you are saved. Just don't read too much of the Bible because I don't want you to go crazy. Our flesh is against us. We get lazy. Hello, somebody. We get distracted. Hello, somebody. We get diverted, and the world knows how to send things into our life to divert us and to distract us. And the main thing that I want to present to us this evening in the story of Jesus that we have to press through is this. We must press through the spirit of intimidation. Someone say intimidation. We must press through intimidation. Now, let me remind you of verse 31. Listen to what it says. It says, Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Herod wants to kill you. Now, let's think for a second. This was King Herod Antipas who threatened Jesus. Some scholars, when you read history, say that he was a cutthroat psychopath. This is the same one who beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Jesus had issues 
uh, with Herod's family. In fact, it's fascinating because when you study the family of Herod, if there was any a family that was, I believe, demonically possessed to kill the people of God, it was the Herodian family. When you think back on history, listen to this. Herod's father was Herod the Great, and he was the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a little baby. You remember in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, it says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem. His nephew, Herod Agrippa, is the one who killed Apostle James and persecuted the church. Listen to this. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, uh, put to death with the sword. So this family, Herod's family, was obsessed in killing the people of God. And here in Luke chapter 13, we see G, uh, 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 Satan, I should say, hitting Jesus with the spirit of intimidation. The spirit of intimidation. They said, Herod wants to kill you. Now, let's think about this for a second. The spirit of intimidation, I believe, is one of Satan's most elite soldiers sent out to the people of God. If you ever do anything significant for God, you are going to have to overcome the spirit of intimidation. If you ever live out the greatness that God has placed inside of you, you're going to have to overcome the spirit of intimidation. And when we think about it, the goal of intimidation is to restrain you from action. It's to restrain you from action. The goal of intimidation is to hold you down and to hold you back. That's why the enemy sends intimidation into our life. It's to hold us down and to hold us back. This is why Apostle Paul in Romans 8.15 calls it the spirit of slavery. That's the song that we sing. We are no longer uh, have the spirit of fear. Apostle Paul calls it the spirit of slavery. You know why? Because it's sent to our life to hold us down and to hold us back. They tried to hold back Jesus. They told him, get out of this place for Herod wants to kill you. You see, Satan knows that actions trigger faith and faith triggers miracles in our lives. I'm going to say that again. Actions trigger faith and faith triggers miracles in our lives. If you don't take action, you won't trigger your faith. And if you don't trigger your faith, it's going to be hard to experience a miracle in your life. Is anybody following along? Anybody picking up what I'm putting down? Spirit check. If you don't take action, you don't trigger your faith. And if you never trigger your faith, it's going to be hard for you to experience a miracle in your life. So Satan hits us with intimidation to paralyze us emotionally and physically. 
That's the ultimate goal of intimidation is to emotionally and physically paralyze us so that we don't step out in faith and do the thing that God has called us to do. When I study the Bible, I see examples of this over and over again in the Scripture. Anybody remember the story of David and Goliath? Anybody remember the story of the giant Goliath and how he was sent out to intimidate God's people? Listen to what the Scripture says in 1 Samuel 17, 11. It says, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words from Goliath, they lost their courage and were terrified. Another translation says they were deeply shaken. Over and over in the Scripture, the enemy sends the spirit of intimidation on the people of God to hold them back mentally and physically so that they don't step out and do what God has called them to do. Jezebel, in the Scripture, used intimidation to try to bully the prophet Elijah. Listen to this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2. It says, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And listen to this verse. It says, Elijah, this great prophet of God, was afraid and ran for his life. That's why the enemy strikes us with intimidation. He wants us to run from our calling. He wants us to run from our dream. He wants us to run from our responsibility. In fact, the spirit of intimidation, I believe, has been unleashed in a huge degree in this whole world in this last year. Think about it. In this last year, many people in the world had to press through the spirit of intimidation just to go to church. Just to go to church. In this last year, we had to press through the spirit of intimidation just to go outside. I don't know about you, but about a year ago, I didn't want to go outside. I was like, well, I hope nobody sneezes on me. Intimidation strikes in three ways. It strikes in three ways. Number one, intimidation strikes with circumstances. Someone say circumstances. Apostle Peter was able to walk on water until his surrounding circumstances intimidated him. Listen to this in Matthew 14, 30. It says, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. He was able to walk on water. Until he allowed his circumstances to intimidate him. Peter allowed his circumstances to intimidate him. This is why we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. This is why we have to walk by faith and not by sight. About eight years ago, as I was serving in our church, God gave us an opportunity to purchase a large church facility. And they wanted to sell this church facility. It would fit about 400, 500 people. And they wanted to sell it to us for $2.3 million. Now, that's intimidating, especially when you don't have any money. 
That's intimidating, especially when you're like me, who was in prison for 16 years, and I used to make 13 cents an hour. The enemy tried to intimidate me and try to whisper in my ear, you can't buy it. It's too much money. It's too big for you to accomplish. But I'm here to declare I link arms and hands with brothers and sisters in faith, and we put our eyes off of that church building, and we put our eyes onto Jesus, and we believe, begin to believe God to do what only he could do. And within a matter of six or so months, we raised $100,000, and we were able to pay for this building that eventually cost $1.8 million. But the enemy tried to intimidate us, tried to push us away from our dream. Intimidation also strikes with words. Someone say words. Think for a second. How did the intimidation get to Jesus? How did the intimidation get to Jesus? Listen to this. In Luke chapter 13, verse 31, it says, Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, and said to him. If you have your Bibles, underline that word. It's a key word. Because intimidation came to Jesus on the wave of words. On the wave of words. Remember, remember how Satan was able to intimidate Israel with the giant Goliath? Listen to how Satan was able to intimidate them. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11, listen to this. It says, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words from Goliath, they lost their courage and were terrified. Listen, I'm about to put you up on game on spiritual warfare. I'm going to put you on game. Listen to this. Fear is like a surfer. Fear is like a surfer. It looks for waves to rise. Fear is like a surfer. Intimidation is like a surfer. It looks for waves to ride, and words are like waves that fear rides on to get from person to person and person, and the spirit of intimidation likes to ride the waves of words. So be careful what you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. All my 16 years in prison, they were telling me, Brian, you're going to die in prison. Older dudes who had been in prison for 50 years were looking at me, and I was carrying my Bible to church, and they began to laugh at me and say, Brian, why are you carrying your Bible to church? You're going to just die in here like we're going to die in here. I remember I got my high school diploma, and they said, Brian, why are you going to get your high school diploma? You're going to die in here like we're going to die in here. I remember going to trade class and getting a trade uh, certification, and one of the old guys started to laugh at me, and they said, oh, here comes Brian. He thinks he's going to go home one day, and the spirit of fear tried to ride into my life on the wave of words. That's why you have to have the armor of God. The shield of faith by the glory of God and the praise of God. Guess who's laughing now? Watch out for the words you listen to. Intimidation also strikes with exaggerations. Someone say exaggerations. Listen to this. I'm putting you up on game on spiritual warfare. 
Y'all are soldiers in the kingdom of God. You need to be laced up. Satan attacks our minds with exaggeration. He attacks our minds with exaggeration. Satan always likes to stretch the truth to get up into our head. You see the strategy of Satan all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Listen to this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Look at what Satan said to Eve. Didn't God say, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Wow, listen to this. God didn't say that. God didn't say you couldn't eat of every tree. That was an exaggeration. Someone say exaggeration. Listen to what God said. God said you can eat of every tree except one. You could eat of every tree except one. Except one. Notice how the enemy twisted up the words of God and stretched the truth and exaggerated the truth to try to get in the head of mankind. And I see this strategy being played out even today to divide people. I remember one guy in my church, he sent me a message. He said, I used to go to your church until I realized you didn't like me. And I said to the brother, I said, bro, I don't even know you. I don't even know who you are. There's a thousand people who come to our church. How could you get that impression that I don't like you? I don't even know you. Someone say exaggeration. You see, Satan wants us to overestimate our problem and underestimate our power. The goal of Satan is to overestimate our problem and to underestimate our power. And I want to remind somebody tonight, if you are a born-again believer, you are a powerful being. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a powerful being. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Bible teaches in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? I find that Satan also tries to stab our minds with the statement, what if? What if? What if? I found that he always tries to stab my mind with worst case scenarios like, what if this happens? What if that happens? And he gets us stressed out over worst-case scenarios that 99% of the time never happen. And I've learned in my personal walk with God how to respond to the what-if statements that the enemy tries to get me to be stressed out about. When Satan whispers, what if this happens or what if that happens, I like to respond by saying, so what? God is still on my side. So what? God will still take care of me. So what? God will still never leave me nor forsake me. The enemy uses exaggeration to try to intimidate us, to hold us back, or to move us from our place. 
I remember I was about 16 years into my prison life sentence, and I was on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. At this time, I was probably about 21 years old, and I was, I was on fire for the Lord, and I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus, and I remember going to this new prison, and prison environment is very dark. The prison environment is very segregated and very racial. The prison environment is very evil. You would have, you would have the whites eating over there. You'll have the Hispanics eating over there. You'll have the African Americans eating over there. You'll have the uh, Hispanics watching TV on their side and the whites uh, eating t uh, watching TV on their side and you couldn't cross paths. It was very evil and very uh, segregated in prison. And here I was, 21 years old, on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, ready to tell everybody about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I remember... I went down and I sat down on a table, and on the table was two Hispanic brothers and one African-American brother. And I went there and sat down on the table, and we began to fellowship together. And about 10 minutes later, one of the gang members in the prison yard came, and they picked out the youngest Hispanic guy, and they took him to the corner. And about 15 minutes later, the young Hispanic guy came back, and he said, man, they just jumped me right now. They just beat me up right now. And I told them, well, why did they beat you up? Why did they beat you up? They said, because we ain't supposed to be sitting down uh, on tables with people of other races. So I looked at the, at the table, and about 30 minutes later, they called the other guy to the back of the dorm, and they jumped him. They beat him up. So I waited, I waited, and nobody got me. So I remember... I went to sleep that night in my bunk, and I did the number. I said, they, they beat up that Hispanic brother. They beat up that Hispanic brother. I'm the only one left. Plus, I did the numbers. And we lived in a dorm with about, it was built for 150 people, but they had 300 people in it. And we had three, we had three people on a bunk. And it wasn't cells, so, so you couldn't be in a cell where you were protected. It was in an open dorm. And I remember the spirit of fear begin to overwhelm me. I remember the spirit of intimidation begin to tell me, Brian, you better go protective custody because they're going to stab you. Brian, you better go and tell the police and go to another yard because they're about to beat you up. And I remember this spirit of intimidation begin to hit me up. And that night, I went to sleep with my Bible, and I didn't know if they were going to stab me in the middle of the night. I didn't know if I was going to go to sleep, and they would have hit me with a, a, a lock in the sock while I was sleeping. But I went to sleep that night reading my Bible, and I was actually reading about Daniel's in the lion's den. And I'll never forget, I was 21 years old, and the devil said I was going to get stabbed. I was going to get probably get killed. And I remember going to sleep. Uh, uh, saying what my mouth and the Lord shut the mouths of the lions and the Lord shut the mouths of the lions and the Lord shut the mouths of the lions I went to sleep that night praise God nothing happened to me the next night came I remember it was almost count time at about 9 p.m. and I was going to walk upstairs to my bunk and I seen this buff guy 
by my bunk. And I said to myself, man, that guy does not belong there. He does not belong there. So I thought of a good idea. I said, man, I'm going to sit in the day room all night long. I ain't going to go up to my bunk. But then I realized you can't do that. You're going to have to go up to your bunk. So I grabbed, you know, my courage, and I walked up the stairs, and I remember this big old buff guy was standing on front of my bunk, and I remember I walked by him, and I went to my locker, because they have lockers with all your stuff in it, and I began to open up my locker, but something in my mind told me, don't open up your locker, because if you get knocked out, they're going to take all your food. So I just began to fumble with the lock, and I turned around, and the guy socked me in the face. Boom, he socked me in the face. And at that moment, I anticipated being jumped. I anticipated being stabbed. I anticipated him jumping on me, right? And, and, then, and then when I kind of braced myself for the next round of persecution, all of a sudden, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And I'll never forget, that guy looked at me and said, Brian, I know you're just trying to serve Jesus. But you got to be careful in here. And listen, nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen to you. You just keep serving Jesus and keep your eyes on the Lord. And listen, I'm here to declare tonight that I didn't realize it, but I would be in that prison for 10 years and part of a revival that God would do in that prison where young men will give their lives to the Lord over the amount of 10 years. Hundreds of people will surrender their life to the Lord. I didn't realize it at that moment, but what if I would allow intimidation to sink into me? What if I would allow fear to come into me, and I would have backed down, and I would have, I would have left the place where God would have had me to be? The enemy uses exaggerations to try to hold us down. And so as I conclude this evening, what do we do when we're attacked by intimidation? What do we do when we're attacked by intimidation? Number one, you stay committed to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we live by faith and not by sight. What do we do when we're attacked by intimidation? We stay committed to walk by faith and not by sight. What do we do when we're attacked by intimidation? Number two is we turn off the voices of fear and doubt, and turn up the voices of faith and power. Turn down the voices of fear and doubt, and turn up the voices of faith and power. For some of you, that may be your friends. Some of us, you need to evaluate who's speaking life into you, and who's speaking negativity into you. Who's speaking fear into your life, and who's speaking life into your life. The last thing that we do when we're hit with intimidation we learn who we are in Christ. We learn who we are in Christ. If there was one piece of advice I would give a young person serving the Lord is to learn who you are in Christ. The Bible gives verse after verse describing your new identity in Christ Jesus. The Bible speaks in terms that you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. The Bible speaks in terms that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
The Bible says that you are loved by God, that you are chosen by God. The Bible says that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. The Bible teaches that you are powerful in Christ Jesus. So if there's one piece of advice that I would give to any young person seeking to serve the Lord is to learn who you are in Christ Jesus and walk in your new identity in the kingdom of God. Walk in your new identity. About nine years ago, I got a phone call from a senator, and the senator asked me to come to his inauguration and pray over him at his inauguration. And I was so excited because I had just started the church, and now we have the senator calling. I was excited to be invited by the senator. And so I went out, I bought a suit because I'm going to represent the kingdom of God. I got a haircut. I got my Bible. And I'll never forget the morning that I was to go to the inauguration, the devil began to hit my mind with exaggerations. He began to say, Brian, does the senator know that you're still on parole for murder? He began to exaggerate in my mind. Brian, does the senator know that you got arrested for murder? Brian, does the senator know that you're an ex-gang member? Brian, you better not go over there because when they find out that you're an ex-gang member, they're going to embarrass you and they're going to rebuke you. Brian, does the senator know who you used to be? Does the senator know that you did 16 years in prison and the enemy begin to hit my mind with these exaggerations and these thoughts of low self-esteem and these thoughts of insecurity, which in effect is the fear trying to hit my life. And I remember I drove to that inauguration, and as I sat in my car, the spirit of intimidation began to bombard me. And I remembered, I remembered who I was in Christ Jesus. I remember as I sat in my truck, I began to confess the word over my life that I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I begin to confess the word over my life that I'm redeemed of the Lord, that I'm forgiven by Christ Jesus. I begin to confess the word over my life that I'm sanctified in Christ Jesus, that I'm filled with the spirit of the Lord. I begin to confess who I was in Christ Jesus, and I begin to think about my new identity as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And as I did that, courage begin to mount up in my heart. And I grabbed my Bible, and I walked out of my truck, and I began to go to the inauguration. And I'll never forget, as I walked into the door, there was a host there to greet me. And he said, Brian, are you, are you Pastor Brian? And I said, yes. He says, come with me, come with me. And this host took me all the way to the front of the, the seating. And I'll never forget when he asked me to sit down, I looked at the chairs that were on the front row, and on the front row, there was big reserved signs on the, on, the, on the chairs, and the one said, reserved for the mayor of the city of Long Beach. The second one said, reserved for Senator such and such. The third one said, reserved for the L.A. County supervisor. And the fourth one said, reserved. For Pastor Brian Ward. You know what the Spirit of the Lord told me? 
God said, Brian, I've always had a seat for you at the table. Ever since you called upon me at the age of 17 years old, I've always had a seat that has your name on it, but you need to be able to press through. You need to press on. You need to remember who you are in Christ Jesus, and you need to rise up with confidence and boldness to get to where I want you to be, because when you get there, there will be a seat with your name on it. And I want to share with you everybody tonight, there's a seat with your name on it. Don't allow intimidation to hold you back. Don't allow fear to hold you up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I'm going to invite all of us, if you're able, to stand to your feet this evening. And I want us to seal this night with worship and prayer. And this is going to be our prayer for this evening as the worship team leads us in this song. This is going to be our prayer for this evening. I want to invite you to say this prayer with me um, while the worship team leads this song. I want us to pray, Lord, fill us with courage. Fill us with fresh courage to fulfill your purpose in my life. I want to invite you as the worship team sings this song in your own words and in your own way. Look up to God and say, God, fill me with courage to be all that you called me to be. Fill me with courage to overcome the spirit of intimidation. Lord, fill my heart with fresh courage. As the worship team sings, as we worship, Pastor Terry and I will be at the altar. If anybody needs prayer, special prayer, we will be at the altar during this time. You're invited to come down and we will pray for you. Worship team, lead us in this moment of worship. You go before. 